Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Chicago's Legal Latte, a series of podcasts brought to you by Lavelle Law Limited. Throughout this series, the attorneys from Lavelle Law will share their answers to questions about a variety of topics for individuals and small businesses. To participate in today's discussion, you can email us at podcast at lavellelaw.com. And good afternoon, friends. Welcome back to our weekly podcast series. Uh, Jim Mitchell here, and as always, I do appreciate you setting some time aside in your day to join me for Chicago's Legal Latte. Uh, you know, we gather here on a, on a weekly basis to discuss topics of a legal nature, large and small, uh, common and complex. Uh, fortunately for you, you don't need to rely on my limited knowledge as we cover these topics. Instead, I am able to call upon a number of talented and knowledgeable attorneys to assist in that endeavor. And this week, I'm joined by a regular and very welcome contributor, Heather Walzer. Heather practices law with Lavelle Law Limited and brings a wealth of knowledge and experience and a, and a great ability to share that comfortably with us. So, Heather, great to speak with you again. Yeah, great. Great to be here. Thanks for having me again, Jim. I appreciate it. Sure. Uh, now, Heather has often shared her knowledge on matters related to estate planning, and we'll continue in that regard today as we discuss irrevocable trusts. Before we begin that, I would also direct your attention to the website LavelleLaw.com, where she recently posted an informative article about properly managing a living trust. Now, Heather, I, I bring that up as a launching point for our discussion today, as they are two distinct instruments. So why don't we start with our topic, which is uh, the irrevocable trust. Can you tell us what that is in particular? Yeah, absolutely. So an irrevocable trust um, is basically a trust that's set up uh, generally while you are living. Um, and once you set it up and fund it with assets that belong to you, you can no longer control it. Um, and essentially, you set up this trust for the benefit of someone else, typically not for yourself, uh, as we'll get into in a little bit. In some cases, you can set it up for your own benefit, but the long story short of it is it's a trust that you set up, uh, and once it's once it's created, you can't make any changes to it. Uh, the, the purpose is primarily to get assets out of your own name and into the name of this trust for possibly estate tax purposes, regular tax purposes, or some other purpose. Okay. Yeah, and I'm sure we'll dive into those a little bit today. Now, take us back and just give us a quick overview of a living trust and how the two would differ. And is it primarily just access during your lifetime then? Yeah, that's really one of the main one of the main differences. Basically, to contrast with a living trust, that's a trust that you set up during your lifetime, and while you are living, it's managed totally for your benefit, typically as a general rule, and um, generally, you as the grantor or the creator of the living trust have the right to change it, uh, make you know edits, revisions to it, uh, to the trust itself. But then also you have the right as the grantor and the primary beneficiary to use the assets in any way that you would like. So you know, just because the assets are in a living trust doesn't change the way that you manage them. You can save them, you can spend them. Or as I say to my clients, you can still choose to go and blow all the money in Vegas. It doesn't change the way that you manage the asset um, because it's being managed totally for your benefit, even though it's in trust. So so as we talk about an irrevocable trust, then I'm hearing primary advantage might be tax and, and primary purpose is to 
provide some resources for the care interest of another person. Correct. That's generally the way that these work. Um, one of the goals when you create this irrevocable trust as compared to a living trust um, is you're creating a totally separate entity. It has its own tax identification number. It's separate from you as an individual. Um, and in most cases, the purpose of that is to take assets out of your individual name and transfer them over to this revocable, I mean, irrevocable trust, sorry, a, a non-revocable trust. Um, and primarily, it's usually to, to get them out of your name for some tax purpose, usually an estate tax purpose. Um, so that's really the main point of contrast between a living trust and an irrevocable trust. Now, it does, you know, just by definition, sounds a little bit limiting, maybe a little bit intimidating to someone, you know, to think, okay, once I do this, it's done and, and there's no going back. But um, clearly, there would be some good uses for it. Give me an example of, of why someone might choose this course of action. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the most common uses for this type of trust is something that we refer to with the acronym ILIT. That stands for Irrevocable Life Insurance Trust. Um, what a lot of people don't realize is that when you die, any life insurance that you have on your own life is includable in the value of your taxable estate for estate tax purposes. Um, seems kind of uh, counterintuitive since you really don't have access to that money during your life. Mm -hmm. But basically when you die, those life insurance proceeds, they can be millions of dollars, will be included in the the assets that are counted for your um, taxable estate at death. Now, one way to kind of get around that is to create an islet or an irrevocable life insurance trust. You form this trust, which, as I said before, is a separate entity apart from you. It gets a tax ID number. It's a totally new entity. You transfer your life insurance into that trust or, even better, you create the trust and then use the trust to purchase the life insurance in the first place. And simply by doing that and by following all the requirements of maintaining that irrevocable trust or islet, those life insurance proceeds are kept out of your taxable estate for estate tax purposes. So there's huge benefit, particularly for someone who is close to what we call the unified credit. So there's a, a set federal amount that's you're able to pass free from tax on your death. Um, you know, if you're close to that amount and then you have, you know, a, a one life insurance policy that's worth a couple of million dollars, that can push you up into a taxable estate, which is not an ideal result. Um, so that, that ILIT, that irrevocable life insurance trust, is a great vehicle for reducing the impact of life insurance on your taxable estate at death. Now, what about a situation in which um, you would like to perhaps share some accumulated wealth uh, with children or other beneficiaries, you know, through a gift process? Can can this be used for that? It absolutely can. And that's probably what I would say is the second most common use of an irrevocable trust. So what you would do in that circumstance, particularly if you have children who are not of age or who maybe are too young to manage money or, or particularly business assets, you would create an irrevocable trust for their benefit, um, so they would be the beneficiary, and by doing so, you would create this other entity. Um, as I said, it's a separate entity, its own tax ID number, 
Um, and by doing so, you could make gifts for tax purposes into that irrevocable trust that would then be used for the benefit of your child. So, you know, most people are aware of the fact that um, under federal law, you can give away up to $14,000 a year per individual donee um, free from any kind of gift tax. Uh, it's called the gift tax annual exclusion. And so for clients who are, you know, close to potentially having a taxable estate, it can be a great option um, from an estate tax planning standpoint to use that $14,000 annual exclusion each year to give assets away, essentially. What can be troubling, though, is if you have kids who are young, you know, you certainly are not in a position where you're going to want to give $14,000 a year to a, an elementary school student child or, you know, a child under 18. By creating this kind of irrevocable trust, you give the money to your children for tax purposes or, you know, grandchildren, uh, any other beneficiary you would choose to, to create this trust for the benefit of, you give it to them for tax purposes, but the money is restricted in such a way that they can't, you know, in the worst case scenario, take it and blow it all on a Maserati or, you know, do something irresponsible with it. Um, so that's another great use of these irrevocable trusts. Um, they also can be very helpful in a situation where um, there's a family business and the family business is, has grown over time and the business owners are looking for a way to transfer their interest in the business to their children. Um, they can create these irrevocable trusts for the children and gradually over time, um, interest in the business into these irrevocable trusts while still maintaining control of the business as the owners. So it's another nice vehicle for, for gifting and transferring assets out of a, a person's name. Interesting. Um, I, I'm enjoying the conversation with attorney Heather Walzer uh, today. As always, we're discussing the irrevocable trusts and, and learning a little bit more about uh, how and when this particular instrument might be valuable. Um, as always, we recommend a visit with your attorney to gather more information before you start making decisions. We certainly try and provide some information here, but uh, legal advice is always best done in a one-on-one -on -one setting where you can get a lot of questions answered. Now, I, I'd like to go back. We were talking about use cases, and I, I don't recall, Heather, whether it was you and I or one of your colleagues, but I do know in past podcasts we've talked about um, setting up trusts for the care of a handicapped child or, a, or an adult who is incapacitated same kind of a situation here, or is that a different type of trust that would be used? Actually, no, that's exactly right. Um, th that is another great use of these type of trusts. So for purposes of um, special needs planning or planning for people who have disabilities or are receiving some kind of government assistance, these types of trusts can be a great vehicle. Um, the reason why is we can craft them so that they provide that the trust assets will only be available to the extent they can be used to supplement um, monies that a person who is disabled is receiving uh, from state or municipal uh, agencies. So just as an example, if someone is um, disabled, unable to work, and is uh, sufficiently below the asset and income level so that they can receive Medicaid, if um, someone were to give them a, a substantial sum of money, it would disqualify them from Medicaid, from potential types of disability, from a lot of different need-based 
resources they may be receiving. Now, with an irrevocable trust like this, you can set it up in such a way that even if you were to give them a sizable uh, amount of assets, the funds would be restricted enough that it would not disqualify them from Medicaid or any kind of disability or needs-based assistance that they're receiving. Um, it's, it's a complicated um, process, certainly, but very, very valuable, um, particularly in a case where um, you know, if someone were to leave assets to a disabled child and then have them disabled, disqualified from Medicaid, those assets would be immediately spent, probably very quickly, on medical care and other expenses and completely diminished to the point where the child would then have to reapply for Medicaid. So creating an irrevocable trust with restrictions uh, that allow the child or dependent or disabled person to maintain their means-tested benefits is a really great use of a trust like this. Now, we've got maybe just a minute left here, and I'm going to assume we have nothing but the finest listeners, but someone out there may have heard this and said, oh, tax benefit, I can set up this irrevocable trust, move some things, get the tax benefit, but I'll just put it in my wife's name or someone, and therefore it's really still under my control. I, I assume the IRS has kind of thought that through already, and there's some, some uh, limits there as to how that might be prevented. They have. That's a really great question. There's a specific Internal Revenue Code provision exactly on point that says that with this type of trust, in order for it to be a completed gift, getting the asset out of your name, the trustee cannot be someone over whom you have control. And unfortunately, although practical facts may not fit with this, the IRS views a spouse as someone who is under your control. <laughs> All right. Well, um, certainly one last you know, thought to leave you with there, and I, I do appreciate Heather taking the time. We'll have to wrap things up at this point, and as always, I thank Heather for her time. Read some recent articles. You can visit LavelleLaw.com, as I mentioned earlier. All of our past podcasts are there as well. And those of you in the Twitterverse can follow Heather at HG Walzer. Uh, as always, folks at Lavelle Law can be reached at uh, 847-705-7555. Give them a call to set up an initial consultation to address any of your needs. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Chicago's Legal Latte. If you have any questions or topics for a future episode, please call Lavelle Law Limited at 847-705-7555 or email us at podcast at lavellelaw.com.